And how many of you are excited to go through what we're going to talk about today based off of that? <laughs> what do you hate to do that you know you should do? That's good for you. See, here's a word that we, that we initially hate, but we often learn to grow in love, and that word is discipline. See, it's the way that I think about discipline is that it's the friends that we hate to see coming, but we are so glad that they visited once they're leaving. Like, you hate thinking about going to work out. Maybe, maybe we don't have any of those crazy CrossFit people in here, do we? All right, we're get, oh, we got one. I'm, okay, so everybody except you doesn't really like thinking about working out, but then we're so glad that we did after the fact, and the, those CrossFit people are just like, work out all the time. It's just messed up. But, but discipline is the friend that you hate to see coming, the thing that you don't want to do, but once you do it, you are so glad that you did. We never regret good habits. We never regret discipline. But initially, we do resist it. We do resist uh, good habits, and we do resist discipline. I think at some level, we all celebrate um, self-control, whether it's uh, in ourselves and in others. But initially, self-control in multiple areas, it's a struggle. And see, here's the, the interesting thing about self-control is that in most cases, the motive is unrelated to the outcome, and the attitude is unrelated to the outcome. And what I mean by that is uh, if you eat healthy, you eat good things, but you have the wrong attitude about it. I called out John King earlier in first service, and I'll do it again. So I, I asked him if he wanted to go get like Runza or something. He's like, I can't. My wife put me on a diet. I'm like, wow, okay, John. And so, but so John's like, ugh, broccoli. Like he's eating it like but he's, he's still eating it, but he doesn't really have the right attitude or the right motive for it. But here's the thing. Whether you do that or not, you're still going to benefit from eating healthy. Whether your attitude and your motives are right, you're still going to benefit from it. And over time, your attitude might actually change, and so may your motive. In fact, it could be that ought to will become want to, and endure becomes enjoy. See, I think that most of us could think of a time uh, or a story uh, about, you know, something that began as an ought to that now you kind of miss it if you don't get it. Um, Sharia, we've all enjoyed Sharia's piano playing, haven't we? Yes, very much so. And if you, yeah, she's my wife. I better be the first one clapping. Yep. <laughs> uh, no, if, if you have only heard Sharia play piano uh, just up here on, as part of the worship team, you are missing out. Because I'm talking like Mozart on steroids. Like, like it's, it's amazing what she can do uh, at, at, on the piano. But when she first started playing at a young age, she hated it. You know, learning to read music, it was difficult. It was like almost learning a second language. And then it, it hurt her fingers when she was learning to like stretch them out to, to play the right octaves on the piano. And, and she didn't like the practice and the wrong notes and everything that kind of went into learning an instrument. But now she absolutely loves it. And we're all blessed by her being able to play. But you see, what began as, as sheer discipline ultimately became a habit which then became a lifestyle. And that's the thing. A lot of times that lifestyle change is life-changing for many of us. 
Whether it's exercise, whether it's coming home early from work to spend time with your family, whether it's spending less money, whether it's eating less sugar, whatever it is, discipline always facilitates progress. There is no progress without discipline. And this is true no matter how you look at it, professionally, personally, academically, however you look at it, discipline will always facilitate progress. But here's the, here's the rub and the, the part that we really don't like about that. Discipline requires delayed gratification. How many of you love delayed gratification? I, I was waiting to see if anybody would delay in there. No, that's why. Didn't work. But none of us really love delayed gratification. But it's doing what we ought to do now so that we can do what we want to do later. But we're going we're gonna to come back to that in just a minute. See, the, the basis of this series that we've been going through called Faithful, uh, we're going through it is because Jesus was so clear in his goal for his believers and his followers back then and now. He wants his followers to be people of great faith, but not faith that just like stays in your head, faith that actually is active. Faith that is, that is real and active and as real and as active as the struggles that we face each and every day in our lives. Faith that changes things. Faith that confronts things. Which is why Jesus, so early on in his ministry, he gave the invitation where he said, follow me. He called his people to follow him, to watch the way that he lived his life out and learn from him. He said, watch how I live in light of my faith. Watch how I respond to people in light of my faith. I want you to move and live in a different direction. And to this day, Jesus has never changed his invitation. He still calls for each and every one of us to follow him. But you see, the the church, eventually, they kind of watered down Jesus's invitation, and they reduced it to simply just believe in me. And yes, you know, Jesus, he does invite all of us to believe in him, but that's just the beginning of what he calls us to. Believe in me doesn't really change anything. It just resides in my head. Believe in me is so much easier and so much safer than follow me. See, Jesus, he didn't invite us to simply believe things about him or even simply believe things about God. He invites us into a lifestyle that reflects a deep, abiding faith in our Father in heaven. Because faith that just stays in your head, it actually, it creates a a fragile faith that is so easily broken or easily lost. And in fact, there may be some of you here or watching online that uh, you're, you're going through kind of, they call it reconstructing your faith, or you're going through kind of losing your faith, or you have lost your faith. And, and maybe the reason that that happened is because you never did anything with it. It was like a muscle that you never exercised. You'd say, you know, I believe in God, but you never allowed or never learned to activate your faith in the real world. And muscles that we don't work out, they get weaker and weaker and weaker. And now you may be at a point where you say, I'm not really sure that I believe that anymore. But you see, Jesus, he invites us into a life that is way more than just, I believe in God. He invites us to follow him, to wake up each day with a thought of, what would I do? Where would I go? How would I respond? What would I do if I was absolutely confident 
that God was right here with me. And that is the life of faith that Jesus invites us to, living our lives with asking that question, what would I do if I was 100% confident that God was right here with me? So in the series, we're asking the question, what creates and what helps us maintain that kind of faith? It's easy to believe in God and have faith when things are going good, but what about when things aren't going good? How do we have that faith to make it through those downtimes? What do I need to do to get that? What fuels and facilitates the, the development of, of active, enduring faith? And in this series, we're, we've, we're talking about five things that we call the five faith catalysts. And these are things that, that can be found, represented, and, and uh, displayed through the life of Jesus but also through the life of so many different uh, mature believers in Christ who when they share their story about what God has done in their life, these five things are constantly coming up as ways that God grew their faith. So the first thing that we talked about was practical teaching. Teaching that's practical, it gives us the application of scripture. Then we talked about personal ministry, serving even when we feel inadequate, and allowing that experience to grow our faith in God. The third catalyst we talked about last week was providential relationships. It's the people that God brings into our life at just the right time. And today what we're gonna talk about is private disciplines. See, it's, it's common when, when these people tell their story, they talk about, you know, for the first time in my life, I, I hit this point where I just, I actually read my Bible, or I actually spent time praying, and, and not just like reactionary prayers like, God, help me get a good parking spot at Walmart. Not that stuff, but like actual sitting down, spending time, pouring out their heart to God, their Father, really praying and learning from the Scriptures. And these things that they sometimes began as an ought to, they're like, well, I, I probably should read the Bible, I probably should pray, they began turn into a want to. But in, in these stories, the, the thing that it takes, and the common thread between all these is something called pre-deciding. It's saying, I'm going to get up in the morning to read my Bible. That one's really hard, because I would definitely take the extra 10 minutes of sleep. And I'm sure a lot of you would do the same. But it's pre-deciding, saying, I'm going to get up in the morning and read my Bible. I'm going to give a percentage of my money to God's work in the world. I'm going, I'm pre-deciding that I am going to show up on Sunday morning to church to fellowship with other believers. Pre-deciding on things that you may not want to do, but when you do them, you're so grateful that you did. Now, going back to Jesus' invitation of follow me, we can see just in that statement how personal that is. He's saying, I want you to follow me. And that points to one thing that I was told as I was growing up, so many different uh, pastors, preachers, all, everybody says this, and it's 100% true. The most important thing in the world, and this is, this is what I want you to get, because this is the basis of everything that we're gonna talk about today. The most important thing in the world is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The most important thing in the world is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about the church. 
It's not about learning. It's not about the principles or the applications. There's, there's a personal, intimate side to this. It's about waking up every morning with a sense of, of personal accountability to our Father in heaven. No one else may know what's going on, but our God does. It's not a doctrine, it's, it's not a belief system, it's not a label, it's not a church. It's our personal relationship with, with Jesus that is the most important thing in our lives. See, that's the thing. There, there has to be some type of, of personal touch with our faith. Following Jesus, like his routines and our spiritual lives, they're both internal and external. They teach us both internally and externally. And we, we've talked a lot about the external with stepping out and serving and obeying and doing what God says. But if there's no internal part, if there's not some sense of this is between me and God, if there's nothing personal about it, then what begins to happen over time is we lose the sense of personal connection and it becomes a routine rather than a relationship. See, if we don't foster the the why behind the what, then the what becomes an ought to rather than a want to. We've all met people like this. You know, the, the people that they, they may go to church and they may uh, do Christian things or they may do church things, but they're not really a nice person. Don't look at them. There's some people in here like, I see some eyes going back and forth. Actually, I can't really see anything. So, But, but people who have the routine, they do the church things, but there is no personal practices. There's no personal relationship. And then over time, all it becomes is just a box to check. And isn't it true that if maybe if you're in here and you've lost your faith or you're losing your faith, that one of the first things that went away was any personal connection you had with God? It hardly ever begins with, you know, I don't really believe that anymore. It always starts somewhere else. And if we aren't fostering and developing the personal side, then we're no longer following Christ. We're just Christians. It's not personal, it's not intimate, we're just claiming and wearing a label. So the personal practices, this is where the personal grit comes in because the personal side of Christianity, our relationship with God, is what releases God's rule in our lives. It's not what people see, it's not what is, uh, or, or it's what is between just us and God that determines whether God has a rule in our life or if we're just living our lives out of obligation. So the three spiritual disciplines that always surface when people share their their stories are the three things that we're going to focus on today. And the, the first one is daily devotions. The second is percentage giving. And the third is corporate worship. But before we talk about private spiritual disciplines, um, I want to share with you some disciplines that we need to be doing regularly to take care of ourselves and our physical and our mental health. See, yesterday, we just had a a celebration of life service for someone who struggled greatly with mental health. And so I wanted to share some disciplines, the, the things that we should do now to get where we want to be later, to help with our mental and our physical health. And so the first one, brush your teeth. And everyone's like, most of the people in here are like, 
that's actually a discipline. Like, I just do it. Like, that's just what you have to do. But um, I am a youth pastor, so I know that there are some middle school boys. Oh, boy. They do not, they, they don't even know where their toothbrush is. It is probably underneath their bed somewhere. They threw it doing a TikTok challenge or something like that. I don't know. But here's the thing. I share that with you because a lot, a lot of people might not realize this, but when someone struggles with depression and with mental health, taking care of themselves in the small ways like brushing their teeth and showering, they're usually the first things to go. And so if you, if you struggle with that, not just hygiene, but from a mental health side of things, force yourself to brush your teeth. Another thing that maybe it's a little more applicable to everyone, take time to eat right. And you know what that, that means? That means stop working when you need to eat. Don't skip meals. Quit working through lunch. Take the time that you need to, to take care of yourself. If we take care of ourselves physically, we're better mentally and can focus more spiritually. Another one that I have is spend time each day with those that you love. Life is way too short and too precious to not show those that we love, that we love them. And, and this may mean setting aside a year-long grudge that you have with a sibling. But I, I can tell you, you need to spend time fostering those relationships with the people that you love. No grudge is worth losing a relationship. So foster and spend some time with the people that you love each day. And the last one that I have for now is simply laugh every day. Find one thing that makes you laugh. Now, not the, not the fake, you know, everything's fine laugh. Not the fake laughs that we give Eric when he gives his dad jokes. Like, not that laugh. Okay. See, that was, that was a good laugh. That's what a real laugh is, Eric, wherever you are. But but something that really makes you laugh. And so uh, I wanted to share something that makes me laugh, and hopefully it'll make you laugh. Um, but this is in honor of Jamie. Um, this is my all-time favorite Jamie story. And so we were, uh, we were in Atlanta at the, uh, at the Drive Conference, and uh, we're sitting in a living room of our Airbnb, and uh, Jamie is sitting there talking about uh, the school that her kids went to, which was Grace University, or GU. And so Jamie's like, yeah, my kids went to GU. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I went to Frontier. And she's like, oh, F you, John. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, no, Jamie, it's, it's not Frontier University. It's, it's called Frontier School of the Bible. And she's like, no. It's F you, John. I'm like, Jamie, what the heck? And so it became like a, like a joke. When we're, we're at the conference, we're walking through the halls of North Point Church. Like, I'm sure Andy Stanley was in the room right next to us, and he just hears Jamie go, F you, John. I'm like, Jamie, you can't, you can't keep just yelling this out. But, oh, man. But, but the, the greatest part about this story came about two weeks later. Um, we, we're back from the conference. I'm sitting at a graduation reception in Brady's Community Center, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I feel these hands on my shoulders. 
And uh, it was Jamie. She was coming up to like rub my shoulders to like say hello, but her hands were a little, little close to my neck, not so much on, on the shoulders. And she just like grabs my neck and just goes, F you, John, really loud. And I'm like, Jamie, you and I are the only ones here that know that story. It looks like you are strangling me yelling F you. You can't do this. Like, oh my goodness. It was, oh, geez. But that, that's the kind of laughter that we need to have each day. Because, man, don't you just kind of feel better when we laugh, when we get to do that? See, the, the impact that Jamie had on so many was, was in part because of her personal practices. See, the way that she was would not have been genuine like we all know that it was without her developing her personal relationship with Jesus and spending that time with her Jesus. So, so jumping in this morning, we're going to talk about the three private spiritual practices that we're all called to, to do. And the first is daily devotion, spending time every day in the word of God and in prayer. And I mean, yes, you can spend time every day uh, like in, in church and in a life group, but in those times where it's just you and God, those are the moments where it feels as if God is speaking to you personally. Moments where, where we invite God into the complexity of our lives. See, Matthew 6, 6, God says, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your heavenly Father. See, Jesus, he commands us to set aside a focused time where God, our Father, gets our undivided attention. When is the last time you gave your undivided attention to God? And of course, Jesus just, he didn't just say, hey, do this. He practiced it. Luke said about Jesus, the news of Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. See, Jesus, he was a busy guy. He was in high demand. He's got stuff to do, places to be, people to meet, miracles to perform. He's got all of these things, which, you know, regardless of how important his work was, which I think hopefully we can all agree, he had a pretty important job, you know, the whole save the world in three, three years thing. Like, that's pretty important. But regardless of how important his work was, Jesus still often withdrew to a personal and lonely place to spend that time with God. Mark shares about a time where Jesus got up very early in the morning to go and pray. And the disciples, they slept in and then they got up and they're like, oh no, Jesus isn't here and these people are here ready to be healed. These people are over here ready to hear a sermon. Like, uh, where's Jesus? And they go looking for him and then they find him and they're like, Jesus, we've got stuff to do. We've got places to be. We've got things that we have to go do. And Jesus is like, you know what? The fact that I am so busy and that there's so much to do, that's the reason that I get up extra early to spend time with my father. See, Jesus gave his father the first minutes of his day. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we should give our father some minutes of our day. And it's a discipline. It's something that we need to pre-decide, but a time where we invite our father into the details of our day, and then we follow Jesus. 
And I'll say this, if your Sunday morning is the only time that you are in contact with God, then you're not following Jesus, you're just trying to associate with him. God wants a personal relationship with you. I'm going to say that one more time. God wants a personal relationship with you. Now, this second spiritual discipline might be a little more personal than you want me to be, and it's something that we, a lot, or a lot of people struggle with this, and in that struggle is when we often discover that it, it really isn't a money thing as much as it is a faith thing, and that, that discipline is percentage giving. Predeciding, I'm not just going to give when there's a need, but I'm going to choose a percentage of my income and predecide to invest it in what God is doing in our community and in the world. And like I said, the issue that we have is not even about the money, it's more about priorities. It's about our confidence and our faith in God. See, Jesus said in, in Matthew, He said, Don't worry, saying, What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? To which nowadays we read that and we're like, oh, I'm not, so I must be good. Like, I'm not worried about that. How many of you are actually worried about what you're going to wear? Not, not like, which outfit am I going to wear, but more like the fact that you have an outfit. Nobody in here is naked that I can tell. Maybe the people at home might be. I don't know. But the fact is, we're all clothed, and most of us probably have more than one outfit. So, so what we're going to wear isn't really something we worry about. What we're going to eat, guess what? If you're wondering what you're going to eat, stay for Engage. We have free food. There you go. Now you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat. What you're going to drink, drinking fountain. There's water all around. Like, there's all these different... We don't have to worry about these things now. And so we're going to change that up a little bit to... Don't worry saying, how am I going to pay for my kids' college education? Don't worry saying, how am I ever going to be able to afford retirement? Don't worry saying, what am I going to do about my job? See, Jesus says, don't worry about that. That's, that's what the pagans run after, and they're consumed with, well, what if, what if there's not enough for me? I understand that we're responsible for the people that, that we're responsible for and, and our kids and our families. We're responsible for them. But, but here's where the faith part comes in. Jesus says, I know your needs. Jesus says, I know that you have to pay bills. I know what you need. And the crunch is, do you really believe Jesus? Do you believe that your Father in heaven not only knows your name, but knows the number of hairs that are on your head, or used to be if you're bald? That he knows your needs? And you're like, you know, I believe Jesus died for my sins and I'm going to heaven. Awesome. How hard is it to trust God for something that you have no control over anyways? It's not hard because we have no control over it. And that is why so many people pray when, when there's chaos or a crisis, but they don't pray at any other time. Because when there's something that we can't handle, it's like, okay, God, you got this. I can trust that you can do this. And God is like, great, awesome idea. Why don't you just have that mindset all the time? And that is what bold, life-changing faith looks like, trusting him with our lives at all times.
See, Jesus here, he's saying, put your money where you say your faith is. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. See, giving a percentage up front, pre-decided, disciplined giving, it exercises our faith because it involves letting go of what we are most inclined to put our confidence in rather than God. This is why it's a faith thing and not a money thing. And, and Jesus, he knew this. He was so brilliant with this. He, he said, you can't have two masters. He says, you, you're either going to surrender and follow God, or you're going to surrender and follow, and we interrupt and we're like, oh, I know this. You're either going to surrender and follow God, or you're going to surrender and follow the devil. Right? Right? I got it right? And, and Jesus is like, no, you're not struggling with whether you're going you're gonna to follow God or follow the devil. Our issue is, are you going to trust God, or are you going to trust your wealth? Are you going to trust God, or are you going to trust your stuff? And, and what we do is we say, you know, I'd like to do both. Like, I'll trust my money until it runs out. And then, God, you come in and save the day. And, and like, I'll trust in you then. But, but God knows that usually our number one contender for our loyalty with him is not the devil, but it's our financial security. That is the number one contender for our loyalty. And Jesus says, trust me. Just trust me with that. I still remember being taught um, percentage giving when I was growing up as a kid. Um, my parents, they were really good about not forcing us to do things, but actually teaching us so that way we could learn how to do things. And so I remember the first time that I got a paycheck and I had some cash in my wallet and the offering plate was coming my way. And I'm, uh, I'm this little like sixth grade kid and I like make it all nice and big, and I'm like, I'm gonna reach for my wallet, pull my wallet out, and I look at the eighth grade girls that were sitting around me, and they're like, oh, he's giving his own money, oh, like all that, and it, it's not really what it was. I was homeschooled, okay, really? Like, come on. So, so like, I'm, I'm like trying to like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm gonna give my money to God. Like, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do, and, and I pull out my wallet and, and I start looking through and I'm like, okay, so I got some ones, I got a five, I got a 10, I got, I got a 20. Like, I was a sixth grader with a $20 bill, it was awesome. And, and I'm just like there, and all of a sudden the plate gets up to me and in that moment, I'm sitting there trying to figure out how to give without it really hurting me financially. See, the battle at that moment wasn't, am I going to be able to eat? Am I going to be able to live in my house? That wasn't the battle. The battle was, this is my money. This is mine. Like, I worked for this. This is, this is my stuff. And I think, you know, why was it a battle? And if you wrestle with this spiritual discipline, ask yourself, why? Why is it a battle? And eventually you'll realize that it's not really about money. It's about our confidence in God. It's about surrender. It's about allowing God to be the one that fulfills us, not relying on things and money and stuff to be what fulfills us, but letting our, when we choose to give back to God and watch and see all the amazing things that he does with that, that, that should be filling us up more than the new boat that we're going to buy 
more than anything else that we're going to buy with our money. It's about surrender. And here's one last thing that I want to say just about giving. Please, please, please do not hide behind the, well, I like to give when I see a need excuse, because that's a Messiah complex. It's saying, I'm going to swoop in and, and save the day. I'm going to be the solution to a problem. You know, here's the thing. That should be a common practice for everyone who says they follow Jesus. In every situation, whether it's financial or any other way, if we claim to follow Jesus, we should be the ones that are swooping in and, and saving the day in every time that we see a need. That's what it should be. But if that's the only way that you give, that does nothing for your faith. It just strokes your ego. So if you're going to follow Jesus, percentage giving needs to be wrestled with and given a priority. And before anybody here goes, oh, Eric asked the youth pastor to come and ask for money, that's not at all what happened. Okay. Um, I always get stuck with the, with the sermons where it's like, okay, hey, preach about money, preach about sex. And I'm like, Eric, just can I get a normal topic? Like, Jesus. Like, come on. But, but here's the thing. Percentage giving, I, I, we are called to support the local church. That's what we're called to do. But there are so many ministries that are happening right around here that we can percentage give to. So don't think that I'm just saying, hey, percentage give to the crossing. I'm saying percentage give to where God is telling you to give. Okay, and the, the last personal practice we're gonna talk about is corporate worship, which I know it doesn't seem very personal. You're like, personal practice, but it's corporate. That, that doesn't make sense. But corporate worship is not just about gathering in a place or a setting like this with other Jesus followers. See, something personal happens when we gather corporately. There's a group dynamic that has a personal, private impact. And we've all experienced this in a few different ways. Uh, think back all the way back to 2020 when we had the, uh, the COVID shutdowns, okay? We got so many messages and texts uh, the staff did from people saying, we miss church, and we just miss church. And our response was never, okay, meet us at the Life Center. I'll unlock the doors for you, and you can walk in and go, oh, my building, oh, my, my chairs that used to be in a restaurant, yay. Like, then that's not what people would, would long for. That's not what they were missing. People weren't missing the sermons, no offense, Eric, but they weren't missing the sermons because we could get online and watch whatever sermon we want whenever we want. That's not what it was. See, what it was, Jesus said this, is where two or more are gathered in my name, I am with them. Now, I don't claim to know what all that entails and what that means, but at a minimum, it means when we gather with someone else in Jesus' name, I can experience the presence of God in a way that I can't on my own. I can experience something with you that I can't on my own. See, Paul, he said, you all, or y'all, if he was from the South, he said, you all are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. See, there's an aspect of the Christian faith that I can't experience apart from you. We're a part of a community, but we have to choose to participate in that community. And sometimes it feels like a discipline. There are probably many of you, I, I was one of them. I didn't really want to get up this morning and come to church. I really didn't. So sometimes it's, it's, it's a discipline, but it's a reminder that God is up to something bigger than you that includes you. 
God is up to something bigger than you in the world, but it includes you. And we lose that sense of, of we and us when we begin to isolate ourselves from we and us. So here is, here is my challenge for you. Uh, this is a challenge that I, I just want you to do this for the next month. So starting today, go for one month from today. And all it is is embrace these three personal disciplines for one month. To take Jesus' command of seek first the kingdom of God. And so the challenge is to seek first the kingdom of God in these three areas. In giving God the minutes of your day. To predecide time that you are going to lock yourself away, you're going to separate yourself from everything else and everyone else, and give that time to God through reading his word and prayer. Not all of your minutes. I'm not saying 24 hours a day. I'm saying just give God some time where it's your undivided attention is given to your heavenly Father. To give God the first dollars of your income. Not all the dollars, but a percentage. You pick the percentage and commit to it. It's a discipline. It's something that we develop. And then predecide a part of your week that you are going to give to God to meet with other believers in Jesus' name. So that's it. Daily devotions, percentage giving, and corporate worship. And at the personal level, this is what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God. Because these things, they challenge us individually and personally. And that is where intimacy with our Heavenly Father is found. And you know what? When you start out, it may feel like pure discipline. It may feel like the thing that you do not want to do. But eventually, you'll be glad that you did. What begins as an ought to may become a want to. So seek first the kingdom of God and your personal devotions, your percentage giving, and in corporate worship. So crossing, I mean, think about this. Can you imagine what our world, what our community would look like if we actually embraced this? If we all focused and chose to foster our personal relationship with Jesus to not just live, uh, live and, and, and say we're good just because we went to church and we do these church things and we do these good things, but to actually focus on our personal relationship with Jesus, man, the impact and the ways that God could use each and every one of us, and it would just be amazing. So let's be that church. Let's be that church that's known for people who focus and choose to foster their personal relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you love us. Uh, even when we fail in our, in our personal practices and our devotions, God, even when we, we hold stuff back from you, you still choose to love us, and I just thank you so much for that, God. I pray that each and every one of us would be challenged Challenge to give our time, to give our finances, to, to set aside time for us to meet together with others, with other believers, God, in your name. And so uh, just help us to truly live that out, God, and help us to be open to what it is you want us to do, what it is you want us to give towards, what it is you want us to study, what it is you want us to go through. God, help us to just be open to your leading and that we would truly seek first your kingdom. God, thank you so much for loving us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So glad you joined us.
crossing online. Um, when Pastor John was talking today about these personal private disciplines, um, I was thinking about how we can go through life yeah. as believers mm. and have nobody know. Oh, yeah. That we, if we do these things or not, and if mm -hmm. they're a discipline or a habit in our life. And um, when you were talking about the percentage giving, mm -hmm. and I was just thinking, man, I, you know, I'm sitting there with a table of teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, man, this is something we talk about um, in our family, mm -hmm. that they know what we do as, a fam as parents. And, um, but I think as we're, as a community of believers, how do you, put you on the spot, because this is a yeah. question I was really thinking yeah. about, like, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I, I'd love to know your answer. Like, uh -huh. how do we encourage each other oh, as man. the church to do that? When yeah. it's such a, when we, you know, as a culture, we keep money so private. Oh yeah, you know? definitely. So I'm just... Yeah, so um, one of the things that actually encouraged me to, to do that, uh, I have a friend, he was here during first service, and uh, he was just sitting there talking to me, and he came up uh, one day and just handed me $1,000, and he was just like, hey, God wanted me to just give this to you for the youth group, and I'm just like, okay, like, <laughs> what? And, uh, and, and it, was just, it was just crazy, because I'm like, okay, they don't have a ton of money. I'm like, $1,000, that's, that's huge. But, but I was just talking to him about it, and he's just like, you know, I don't even deserve life, let alone the money that I have. And so um, if God wants me to give it to somebody, he's going to take care of me. And so I'm just going to do what God wants me to do. And, and he's like, it's not my money in the first place. And so uh, how that encouraged me is, realizing that you can see other people live out that mindset. And, and when you see people, because, man, he is he's one of the freest people that I have ever met because he is so just open. He's like, I don't deserve this. This isn't mine. It's God's. And so God is choosing to use me to, to bless others. And, and you can see the fruit and the joy in his life. And so I think encouraging others, we live it out first. And then we can really encourage others just by letting them see what God does with that. Mm -hmm. And like you just said, like they, he, he lives a free life. Yeah. And you were talking about how these things are disciplines. And it, lots of times it goes from should mm -hmm. to, uh, over time, it does go to a want to. Yeah, yeah. And like I was sitting next to my mom today, and I was like, you know, as you are around other believers and as you share the things that are joy filling to you and for mm -hmm. her reading her bible has always been yeah. something that she just loves to do mm. um so she became a believer when she was 13 years old and i think man it's because she shared that and i just think as a mm. community as a body of christ the more that we share how living yeah. out these disciplines is encouraging us and yeah. is growing our oh, faith yeah. that can help each one of us Go from the should to the want to. Yeah. But we definitely. all have to do it on our own, too. It is really oh, yeah. a private, personal discipline. Yeah. And it's, sometimes it's hard because uh, I've gone through those times, I'm sure you have, too, where, like, you know, you, you read the Bible and you're like, wow, this is awesome. This is great. And then there's times where you read it and you're just like, was I reading a different language? <laughs> like, what, what even is this, God? What are you trying to, to say to me? And, and so it's hard to, to press through, but that's where um, 
because I've had times where I read something and I'm like, that did nothing for me. But then down the line or like even later that day or something, God, God brings it to my mind and it's for a situation that I'm in. And so it's, it's, you know, you may not feel like it, you may not want to do it at the time, but God's word is never going to return void. And so uh, choosing to do what God calls us to do, even if we don't feel like it, God's going to use that. That's so encouraging for me to see how God uses um, these things that he's asked us to do because he knows they're going to encourage our lives. So hope you're encouraged this week. Hope you take on um, John's challenge of doing this for the next month. Think through these private practices. Have a great week. Thanks, Crossing.